The Start On Demand. On demand. Uber is finally coming to Winnipeg. We'll get details on what brought them here at long last, and we'll hear what it's going to mean for the airport. Students are rallying in support of the U-Pass, which has been scrapped in this year's city budget. We'll speak to a Winnipeg woman and wife of Transcona Councillor Sean Nason, who just returned home from vacation on a cruise ship. And we'll have a discussion, would you get on a cruise ship in the current coronavirus climate? And I'll tell you about how I got grilled by one angry woman on Tinder. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, March 10th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we're going to be speaking a lot about this this hour, so we don't want to spend too much time opening the show on this, but... We were looking for something to chat about at 6.45. I go to globalnews.ca and I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and almost every single headline has to do with what, Greg Mackling? Coronavirus, COVID-19. It's uh, never ending the stories, the the effect that this is having on the economy, our travel plans, our consideration for how we're going to spend our spare time. News out of San Jose last night, Santa Clara County, southern part of the Bay Area, banning any gathering of a thousand people or more, which puts into the possibility the genuine prospect of at least one National Hockey League team playing one, two, or up to as many as five games without any fans in their building unless they decide to play somewhere else. So uh, this is a dominating conversation. I know there are some of you that are sick and tired of it. I get it. I understand it. But we have to share with you what's going on here and around the world. It's uh, it's hard to keep processing it because just when you think you've heard something so crazy, like over the weekend when Italy decided to quarantine half the country, you're like, whoa, that's a big step for a country outside of China. Then they moved to quarantine the whole country yesterday. Then we had the first death in Canada. And then on the flip side, you had the stock market taking and and oil prices crashing. And you had that weird conflicting moment that always happens. And I did it this morning. I filled up with gas and I felt just like this woman did here. Brett, we got a clip to play from uh, how many Manitobans might feel. As a driver, it makes me feel terrific. I um, think that we pay way too much, and the drop in price is excellent. What was the price that you paid? 98, which was still high compared to what I know it's going to go down to. They're talking about a 10-cent drop by tomorrow, which would put potentially prices below 90. I don't know. I can't remember the last time we were that low, but definitely not uncommon territory. But it's that weird thing where you watch the stock markets go down. You think, oh, gosh, like my bottom line or my company's bottom line or who I work for. And then the one small piece of the pie where you're like, oh, well, that'll be nice. Is that is that the pumps, right? You have to find some solace somewhere, I suppose. Yeah. Pumping ain't easy <laughs> is the headline I remember from the Winnipeg Sun years ago. Pumping ain't easy? Yeah, that was back when the WWE had a character named The Godfather, and his tagline was, Pimpin' ain't easy. Oh, boy. <laughs> In the late 1990s. Uh, so when the Sun came out with Pumping ain't easy, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I God, I love their headlines. Yeah, they had some great headlines over the year, uh, years. Uh, and at least the Jets won last night in mm-hmm. front of a full building downtown Winnipeg last night. Were we at the game? Did not go to the game last night, Just watched it on TV, which is where, uh, you know, a lot more people are uh, comfortable watching the game. But uh, some maybe some very exciting news on the rideshare front as well. Today we are very excited to announce that Uber will be launching in Winnipeg before the end of spring. About time. No, oh, I know. It's almost, uh, you want to be excited about it, and I think a lot of people will be, but then it, it's so Winnipeg. For it to have taken two years, I think it's been two years since we approved ride-sharing services in this province and two years of a struggle back and forth on insurance and all the rest. I think it's good just for users. We have other ride-sharing services, but I think the more on the market, the better, and that is the number one brand. So we're going to get into this later in the show. We're going to have the airport authority on, but you land in this city, you open up your app like you would in any other city to take an Uber, and then you got to text your friend or your mom or your colleague and be like, sorry, is there... Yeah, how do I, what do I, what do I, what do I, what do I? closest Uber to you is in Regina, Saskatchewan. Yeah. So then uh, you get on the bus, yeah, or I'll come get you. Or you can call Tapcar, but, you know, you don't know those things. And so when you when you think about brands and imaging, 
I think that's an important addition to the city. So we got Abigail Turner framing this up after seven. The Winnipeg Airport Authority after eight. But I want to get to what Brett okay. Brett shared because this made me laugh. I f- I'm at your expense. Oh well, it it was an amusing exchange. So yesterday I'm I'm swiping on the Tinder. He's <laughs> talking about apps, jumping from Uber to Tinder, and I start speaking with this woman. Her profile says she's 41. Uh, but then at the bottom of her notes, it says she's 46. And that's fairly common where people will lie about their age. Whatever. No big deal. Lied about it and came clean about it all in one paragraph, essentially? Yeah. yeah. So, like, you you, you fake, you, you put it, you enter at an incorrect birth date. So you're, it shows that you're a certain age because I guess the idea is that you'll be seen by more people depending on... Because you can set the age range at which you want to see. So... This woman, the first thing she said to me was was funny. So why are you on Tinder? What's your real world women chatability quotient? And I thought, what? So I, I laughed out loud and I said that to her with a couple of question marks. And then she says, okay, but seriously, why, why are you on Tinder? Why, when there are women all around? And I said, oh, so you're asking me why am I, why do I not speak to women in person? Why am I on Tinder? I said, all right, well. I, uh, for example, I, I'm terrible at small talk. I shop at the Safeway at River and Osborne, and you remember Uptown Magazine? It was always the best place yeah, to meet people. But what am I going to do? Walk up to someone and say, so, birthday cake or chocolate glazed mm. Timbit cereal? Romaine, <laughs> hey? Yeah. I like a good these, iceberg. Can you check out these avocados for me? I'm <laughs> oh. unclear on what makes a... A purchasable avocado. I'm terrible at small talk. I'm terrible at meeting women. So I, I prefer, I like the safety of the keyboard. So Tinder is a good way to break the ice. So then that way, once you've established a connection with somebody, you can get to the date. You can just get right to the real conversation. But she just kept kind of grilling me on why am I on Tinder and what am I looking for? And then she says, I just, I just don't trust guys on Tinder as far as I can throw them. So I said, well, what are you doing here then? Perfect question. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? And she says, well, I already told you that I'm only on Tinder as a backup. I prefer to meet people in real life. And uh, I said, okay, well, talking about trust, it says you're 41, but it also says you're 46. So which is it? And then she dodged the question, and then I had to ask her again. So 41 or 46? And that's not because you actually cared what the number no. was. It's the point that here you are, A, attacking people who are on Tinder, Tinder B, saying you don't trust people. Yeah. And then you're not trusting you with the right facts. And then she won't tell me the age. She, instead, she says, well, does that really matter? And I say, well, if you're going to rant about trust, it matters. And then she says, do you think I care what you think? Oh, my gosh. It sounds like a giant social experiment on the other side of the computer here. So I just clicked on Unmatch and carried on my merry way. I tweeted out a screen grab of, uh, or I tweeted that out, a brief sort of snapshot of my experience. And one person said, hey, sorry, I was just messing with you. So (laughs) it could have just been somebody who was goofing around with me. I don't know. Well, one of our listeners just texted, they think it's a reporter doing research on Tinder. (laughs) You just about appeared in like an expose for the New York uh-huh. Times. Brett McGarry of Winnipeg on Tinder because he doesn't like to talk. Because <laughs> he can't meet women in person. <laughs> so let us know if you have any Tinder exploits to share. 204 780 Last time I didn't have the window open. This time I just didn't have it in front of me. Mackling McGarry, McNabb. Jeff Braun's here, Kelly Moore's here, Jeff Fortier. We do want to continue the conversation on coronavirus, and I know you might be getting tired of it. I was going to say you might be getting sick of it, but I almost feel like that's a, you know. No-go zone? I don't know, is it? But I'm curious to know, because with that cruise ship that's in the Santa Santa Clara area or the San Francisco Bay area, uh, got me thinking, would you take a cruise at this point? I First of all, Anybody in this room, have you been on a cruise ship? I have. Nope. No. Nope. Yep. Jeff Braun, where did you go oh, on a cruise? South. <laughs> <laughs> Miami, Manitoba? <laughs> uh, one left from Miami, one left from Tampa, both uh, tooled around Mexico and the Caribbean. Oh, you've been on two cruise ships. Yeah. Did you enjoy them? Uh, I did. By the end of the week, I'm sort of ready to get off the cruise ship, but I I, I did enjoy it. Would you uh, now in, with no. coronavirus? No, I don't think so. I would. I like. I'm not saying I'd never go on a cruise ship again. I'm saying right now, I would. 
hit pause on that because just if you're stuck in your cabin for two weeks, that would be pretty mm. miserable. Yeah, I because yeah, I I loved it. It was the vacation of a lifetime for me. But you're right, the room is tiny. The idea of being trapped in there is scary. And even take coronavirus off the table. How many times do we hear about things like norovirus, yeah. oh, yeah, cruise yeah. ships getting stranded in the middle of nowhere? So that's something, like, I would love to take another one, but there are so many question marks to there, get back on. The last time I was on, they were pretty uh, adamant about hand sanitizer and that sort of thing. Like, you go to the buffet, and there'd be somebody standing right there insisting that they help you uh, put san- hand sanitizer mm. on before you touch anything at that's the buffet. That's interesting. So, Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I Because let's face it, I mean, uh, a cruise ship is kind of like a, an aircraft. It's a traveling germ bag. I was thinking Petri dish <laughs> myself, so we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. But two weeks instead of two hours. Exactly. Yeah. And no HEPA filters, unlike on an aircraft where they are mechanically cleansing the air, where on a ship... I, I guess there's a chance they're doing that down below in your rooms, but when you're out on deck, yes, you're in fresh air, but you're in close quarters, right, Jeff? Yeah, it can be. It can get real tight in there. Sometimes. More importantly, it's in the middle of the ocean. I think we're forgetting that part, and you can't you see can't the other side. Anywhere. Thank you, Forte. Yeah. You, I'm not talking about because of a disease. I'm just talking about my straight-up fear of staring out all sides of the ship and being like, where is the land? Well, a lot, a lot of the time, they're close enough to shore that you can see the shore. Could I swim there? Potentially. <laughs> no. And sometimes. I yeah. So. I thought so. I Because I had the same thing. I was like, oh, if I can see a building on the shore, I could probably swim to it. Jaws, I'll get you first. <laughs> <laughs> and other times, like the last time we were on, we were straight up like part of a convoy or something. Because even at night, you could see uh, other cruise ships right behind you yeah. or whatever with lights on and stuff. So I was like, oh, that made me feel a bit better. That's one of the things that I liked the most about it, though, when you were out in the middle of nowhere and you couldn't see anything. I don't think I've ever felt so relaxed because I was completely untethered from the real world, so to speak, right? I mean, you go on vacation to relax, and when you look around, you can't see anything, including a connection on your cell phone. It's just sort of, okay, now I can just finally breathe. That's a good point. We've talked a lot about how apartments and condos are getting really, really small, in Toronto and Vancouver and and larger cities, that's because you do a lot of your living outside of where you sleep. Basically, your apartment's for sleeping and maybe a little bit of eating. That's the same thing on a cruise, right? That like I wouldn't be able they, to tell you that. They don't want you. It's not designed for you to be in your room. It's designed for you to enjoy the other uh, parts of the ship. Absolutely. Yeah, you just go into your room to sleep and shower and use the washroom. So being confined to that space would be a little bit like being there's in a, jail. There's a TV in there. With limited options, but yeah, that gets even as a couch potato that gets old real quick. <laughs> my question is for people now: and people are writing in about you know travel insurance and their concerns when they book a trip and when like what's your window for this summer? I was looking at flights last night about trying to plan trips. Did you get the, the WestJet uh, email this morning? I didn't about just worrying about the precautions they're taking. And if yeah. you book before March thirty first, there's right. they're going to waive your change fees. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but there's all those questions, and then there's people texting us right now. You know, they have a cruise planned for spring break. Still trying to figure out to do. I feel for those folks. If you put so in, like what's a cruise or, or even a European vacation, there's thousands of dollars. Do you still just roll the dice and go? And, and right about, now, I would say I would. What about the people who are working in the cruise industry right now? I mean, they must be fearing for their livelihood. Uh, with when you have these warnings, do not go on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, I'll tell you that just uh, that would send ripples through that industry. Pardon the pun, but there's a lot of people. Who, who work on cruise ships. Well, we've played that report from San Jose and yeah. the fact that uh, a lot of the people that are going to be affected by potentially no fans at Shark Games are the restaurants and the bars mm-hmm. in around the arena in San uh, Jose. And not just the, the hockey games, all of the events that take place right. at the SAP Center, right. whether it's a concert, whether it's a convention or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that employs a lot of people. We got a text yesterday morning. I'm just looking at this uh, because I remembered somebody said, my sister is supposed to go to Portugal this Saturday. She stops in Brussels. She's only 15, and this is her first solo trip for a canoe kayak Mm. spring camp. So um, perhaps that is a question mark. Uh, And if she goes, then, you know, I'm sure she might be potentially scared of what could happen if she gets stuck somewhere. Uh, so let us know if you are if you have plans. Are you going to take your plans? Text us at 204-780-6868. Another listener yesterday said three weeks we're flying to Vegas and then to the last Jets game in Glendale. After a week of that, off to Ukraine, Slovakia, and Austria. We are concerned, but we'll try to avoid all human contact as possible. Mm. 
I think I advised that person just to keep their, washing their hands and don't make out oh. with strangers. And then he told me he's going with his wife, so that's probably not going to happen. Just, like, drop, just right. drop yourself but, in toilet paper. You'll be fine. Legitimately. Well, you got enough toilet paper probably at home now. Just well, make sure it's Scotty's. Yeah. People stocking up with a year's supply of toilet paper. And I, let us know, too, if you have gone out and bought extra toilet paper. 204-780-6868. Thank you very much, Kelly Moore, Jeff Forte, Jeff Braun. I want to say thank you to Arthur, who has sent us one of the many memes out there that we're seeing regarding the run on toilet paper. It is a picture of Gollum, <laughs> a.k.a. Smeagol, from Lord of the Rings. And he's holding a roll of toilet paper in his hand, and it says behind him, of course, Mal. Precious. So, Arthur, thank you for that. I just watched the Lord of the Rings movies over the weekend, so uh, because couch potatoes, because nerd. But only one roll of toilet paper. Shouldn't it be a gross? Should it be surrounded by rolls? Yeah, Yeah, like a a toilet paper fort. Well, you could say this is the one roll to rule them all. Oh, Oh, well done. If anything, and I said this this morning, all I can think about is were we kind of just all gross and disgusting before this? hit like was nobody washing their hands buying hand sanitizer had enough toilet paper we all just using one sheet one one square <laughs> can't, like spare just, square. can't spare square but oh i got seventeen thousand rolls to spare just in case like i'm just concerned even with WestJet coming out talking about how they're using hospital grade clorox wipes on the planes and the changes at calgary transit for example they're doing extra things to clean the buses the kinds of like we're, we should have been doing some of those things before no Look at how many people don't get a flu shot. Look at how many people, we've seen surveys for years, how many people don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom. In fact, isn't there one, I'm sure I'm going to look for it, but one in particular vocation that they studied, one that you thought would always wash their hands, doctors. And it wasn't 100% of doctors who wash their hands after they go to the to the washroom. So we'll have much more to discuss throughout the day on 680 CJOB on coronavirus. But now we switch gears to the one ride-sharing app to rule them all. Two years after ride-sharing was approved in Manitoba, approved to hit the road in Winnipeg, the biggest ride-sharing company we've been telling you all morning has finally found a way to enter the market. Uber had previously avoided Winnipeg and Manitoba due to insurance concerns, but those have apparently been resolved. Global News Morning reporter and producer Abigail Turner joins us now. Good morning, Abigail. Hey, guys. So tell us what's happening here and when, I think, might be the big question for people because there's lots of riders who've been waiting a long time for this. Yeah, and I think when we talk about Uber, it's kind of it's an exciting time, definitely for Winnipeggers. But I think we also have to consider the taxi drivers uh, in our city who might not be as excited as one group of Winnipeggers because they could be potentially out of a job. Um, when we're talking about certain days, though, we don't have a specific date of when Uber uh, will be coming to Winnipeg, but they're saying around the end of spring. So if you consider that, that's, that's quite soon. We've got a clip we're going to play from uh, one of the Western Canadian heads of, uh, from Uber, just a bit more details on what's going to be in the lead up to that date. Uh, that will largely be dependent upon how many drivers and how quickly drivers sign up and go through the process. So if you're a driver who has a safe driving record, no criminal record, uh, we'd like to encourage you to sign up at drive.uber.com. Uh, the sooner you sign up, the sooner you'll be able to get information on different promotions and the process that you'll need to go through to be qualified to drive with Uber. So we know in the past there's been some insurance concerns. There was a lot of back and forth between who was to blame, Uber or MPI. What are they saying about what's been resolved insurance-wise, Abigail? I think that was the main uh, issue, holding Uber back from coming to Winnipeg. We've talked a lot about block insurance, and what that means is uh, an Uber driver in Winnipeg would have to get insurance based on certain uh, times of the day, so rush hour or or weekends. Um, But because of that, that's going to make it a little bit more expensive uh, for people in Winnipeg wanting to be Uber drivers. Do we know how much more expensive? We're talking between 200 to $400 on your insurance premium. So it really isn't just, you know, an extra 10 bucks. It's a, a quite a big chunk of change. And that's per year, Abigail, or is that per month? 
No, that would be per year. Yeah, you know what? In my mind, it seems like a reasonable cost to pay, but I, I suppose that in comparison to what's being paid in other jurisdiction, Uber had a problem with this. Uh, have you spoken to any taxi drivers uh, since we, we got this news, Abigail? We haven't spoken with any taxi drivers, but we're actually chatting with uh, Uber and actually a matter of minutes just to, you know, get a little bit more information about what uh, is going to be expected here in Winnipeg. And then after that, we're going to chat with MPI directly to talk a bit about uh, the different types of insurance and why essentially we're so much different than the rest of the provinces in Canada. All right. Global News Morning Reporter and Producer Abigail Turner. Thank you, Abigail. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I think this is great news. I probably will still use taxis. I just, I, I've, that's kind of just out of habit, really. I have never really had an issue with cabs. I know many people do. They have their reasons to, to not like cabs. But uh, the fact that we have Uber, just finally, it just, you put, said it earlier, Loren, and for those just tuning in, you said it's so Winnipeg for it to take this long to finally get into this market. And to be fair, there was that insurance holdup. And is it is it Uber that was just kind of holding this out, saying, we're not going to change at all, you change for us? And was MPI saying, like, yeah, we're not changing our rules. That's your guys' problem, not ours, because other ride-sharing services have come in and, and adopted to MPI's regulations when it comes to insurance to be the driver or what have you. So, But, it, but it's more just the idea of not that Uber took so long or that we didn't change the rules, but... When you land in this city or when you arrive in Winnipeg or when your family's coming to visit, Uber is the name you know. It would be like going to a store and you might not buy Kleenex the brand, but you are calling it Kleenex. And so you will say, how do I get an Uber? You might not even mean Uber, but you don't know the name for the other ride sharing service. So it's a brand and image issue, I think. And this helps a little bit with that for Winnipeg. And I know in the States, most of my friends there have both Lyft and Uber on their phones. And there is a brand affiliation or there seems to be one brand that people like better than the other. I know uh, my buddy in California, he prefers Lyft over Uber. I loved Uber when I used it in Calgary. Uh, One of the observations I made several months ago was the lineup for people waiting for taxis at the Winnipeg airport just a few weeks ago. We're going to speak with uh, the folks at the Winnipeg airport, James Richardson International, later on this morning to uh, find out how that helps service there on uh, nights when there's just uh, no taxi cabs. I was watching a golf event uh, a few weeks ago that was taking place in Mexico City, and you could, you could hear there was one particular hole where all you could hear were whistles in the background, someone blowing a whistle, and they eventually revealed it was guys who were marshalling traffic for an Uber drop-off hmm. and pickup spot. So Because it was that busy? Yeah. So it becomes, it becomes, it doesn't replace the taxi, but it becomes like it in the sense of the organization and the line and the rope that you stand behind. Yeah, and I've spoken to taxi drivers over the last couple of years here in Winnipeg, and a lot of them have expressed to me the likelihood that once Uber comes to town, they will in fact, that's who they'll be driving for. As long as they're using Clorox wipes to clean out whatever car they're in. Yes, please. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our last hour, we had a conversation about cruise ships. Would you get on a cruise ship? Well, Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, said yesterday Canadians should think twice about going on a cruise. Our next guest recently returned from a cruise vacation. Hal spoke to her husband, Transcona City Councillor Sean Nason, yesterday. And now Jennifer Ma is back on dry land and joins us now. Good morning, Jennifer. Welcome home. Good morning. Thank you very much. I understand the ship you were on wasn't quarantined. There wasn't uh, suspicion of COVID-19, but I do know, did hear there were some concerns. So tell us about it. Business as usual up until the last couple days on the cruise? That's correct. It was a glorious cruise, had an absolute fantastic time. But on our final port day, we started to uh, experience some issues. We were set to port in Grand Turk in the Turks and Caicos, and we were delayed and we were delayed and it was interesting because we were sitting right at the dock. But over time, they released information to say that there were several passengers on board exhibiting flu-like symptoms. They said that they did not meet the criteria for COVID-19 testing as set out by the World Health Organization, but that the Port of Grand Turk was exercising caution because we had previously visited St. Martin 
and there were uh, cases of COVID-19 identified on that island. So for those reasons, they would not let us off the ship in Grand Turk. Does that make you feel good that they were taking such a strict uh, stance on this, Jennifer? It sounds like good policy in my mind. I was absolutely fine with the policy. They were more than generous in my mind with compensation as well, since we weren't allowed to get off the ship. There was certainly a mix of campers who respected the, the policies put in place and others who felt that it was overkill or ridiculous or whatnot. But when you get that many people in a space, you're going to have mixed feelings about it. What else changed on the ship after that? So you couldn't get on that last, you couldn't go to that last island for an excursion. I understand that other things happened too in terms of just how, you know, the the sanitization or some of the other steps or measures they took. That's correct. Everything remained as normal on that day. But on our final sea day on Saturday, we started to notice things changing like no more self-service in the buffet. You couldn't touch the plates. You couldn't touch the cutlery. The staff would serve you anything off of the buffet line. Same thing in the dining room where you would normally be uh, given a bread basket at the beginning of dinner. That wasn't the case. They were serving everything, so they were minimizing what passengers were touching. And again, perfectly fine in my mind. It reminded me of the days of Norwalk virus where passengers just couldn't touch stuff, were encouraged to wash their hands. But I didn't see a change on the part of the passengers. There was no more increase in the number of people wearing masks. There were a couple of people wearing rubber gloves in the casino, so they didn't have to touch the button. But, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. So, Jennifer, what sort of uh, inspection did you get on the way home? What sort of procedures did you have to go through? Where did you fly? And what sort of questions did you get in terms of screening at airports on your way home? So I flew direct from Fort Lauderdale into Winnipeg yesterday. Not one question was asked. Not one piece of information was disseminated. It was a regular flight uh, with no conversation about it. You've spoken to HealthLink since your home now. Do you have any concerns about your your health or even just more the perception? You know, someone who gets home from a cruise, you're going to have people saying, "Uh uh-oh. My biggest concern is that perception piece, given that I was to report to work today. So I have returned home with some symptoms, which is not uncommon when I travel. I will often come home with a bit of a cold or a bit of a flu. So I did call Health Links as a precaution, hoping that they would say self-monitor and you'll be fine. But they actually sent me into urgent care to be tested last night and had said that I'm under self-quarantine until those test results come back. They did say that HealthLinks generally was sending folks in who visited regions where there are known cases or community cases and who are exhibiting cold or flu-like symptoms. So you're home for now, just for the day, Jennifer? Until those results come back. They said because there's an increase in the number of tests being done, it might take a little longer than the usual roughly 24 hours. So I assume I'm here for a day or two until those results come back. Well, I have some reassurance with that. That sounds like a good practice in place. Jennifer Ma, we thank you for your time and welcome home again. Thank you so much. The question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. When Uber comes to Winnipeg, will you use it? Yes, can't wait. I'll stick with the other services are your options, and I'm fine with cabs. Cast your vote at cjob.com. And now we want to switch gears. Well, not switch gears. We're going to keep, we're going to, I guess, go into the next gear. What would, like, the, the passing gear, perhaps? <laughs> three that... in the tree. What would it be if you're moving the gear well, up? Five? Well, you go to th- well, if you have three on the tree, you only have three gears. Not if you use that little button, whatever that was overdrive. on the truck, the overdrive. There you go. Yeah. You had the overdrive in the truck? On one of the grain trucks, I think we did. Nice. I learned to drive on three on the tree, but uh, that is really derailing the entire <laughs> conversation here. We've been telling you all morning, Uber is 
finally entering the Winnipeg marketplace. No exact date has been confirmed, but Uber says it's found a solution with the insurance issues that have kept it out of Manitoba until now, and it expects to be good to go sometime this spring. And we've talked this morning on the show and previously in the past about the fact that without Uber, we sort of wondered if we had an image problem or what it meant to visitors when they landed in Winnipeg, with some of you telling us that your colleagues or friends have actually come to the airport from a different city with the expectation they would just hop in an Uber like they would do in their own community, only only to discover that's not an option. Tyler McAfee is with the Winnipeg Airport Authority and is on the line with us now. Tyler, good morning morning. to you, sir. Good morning. So when it comes to having this option added, have you heard in the past from travelers, you know, who come through the airport, get through the hug rug and then say, where's the Uber? We do. So, uh, you know, it's pretty frequent the travelers are coming into looking for ride-sharing options that they have at uh, other cities in North America, other cities in Canada even. So, you know, th- this is great news for Winnipeg. You know, uh, Tyler, I don't know if it was you working the uh, Twitter uh, feed uh, a few weeks back, but I picked up a buddy of mine from the airport and I tweeted out this to the airport. I'm picking somebody up at uh, YWG Airport, and there were zero taxis available. My first time around the loop, lineup of people, two taxis my second time around, still a lineup. And the answer back was Friday after work is a peak time for taxi requests across the city, especially when there is an NHL game. There are ride-sharing apps available at the airport, including Tapcar, Reride, and U-Ride to help meet the demand, but there are times when there are very few options in terms of getting off of airport property, right, Tyler? It can be tricky. It can be tricky at those peak times because the reality in Winnipeg is up until now, we haven't had the capacity to meet the demand. And the the airport is the biggest taxi stand in the city. So at those peak times, I mean, we, we see the impact of that. We've talked about, we mentioned it just a few minutes ago, about image and about branding, and this is just a big brand. And so at the end of the day, there's been the argument from some that, you know, without having something like Uber, it says something about who we are as a city, about our size, about where we want to move forward. This isn't just about the ride sharing, in our opinion. And, And so, Tyler, I'm looking for your response. It's also just about what it says about who we are and our size and how we're growing. I, I'd agree. I think it's a really positive thing. And I think Tapcar has been great for the market here. But when someone is visiting our city for the first time, they're not opening their Tapcar app. They're opening their Uber app. Uh, they're looking to see that brand that is recognized around the world. So now that Winnipeg is part of that, I think it's a really positive thing. Tyler, you, were you involved in any of the conversations brokering some sort of arrangement or relationship between MPI and Uber? Uh, we certainly expressed our frustration throughout this process that, you know, we, we want to see the solution and we want to see a, a model that is going to allow people to come in and compete. Because, again, we have this issue at the airport where people are coming to our city. We invest all of this time and energy to make an incredible experience for people. And yet they're stranded at the airport because they can't get a taxi because there aren't enough of them. So how will it work now? Does it just, they come in and, excuse my ignorance, I've taken ride sharing from downtown. I've never done it from the airport. So is there any additions that have to be made at the airport to accommodate this additional service to the ride sharing game? So we'll have them lining up at a different door. The app will direct you right there. So it'll be door one at the airport. Um, It'll be sort of separate from where the taxis go through. Uh, And it'll just be a bit of a different system. So the next step for us is to get a a contract in place with Uber. We've been talking with them throughout. We have kind of a standard that is uh, with all the ride-sharing companies in the city. It's pretty standard across uh, Canada as well as far as rates and things like that. So we'll get that in place before they're ready to start up. And then uh, hopefully our goal is day one for Uber in the city is also day one for Uber at the airport. Is that the door where the current ride-share services, the existing services go, door one? Uh, yes. Yeah. Everybody goes to door one. So what what has the feedback been across the country, Tyler, in terms of other airport facilities and, and their experience? Can you, can you let Winnipeggers know what they're in for? Uh, you know, it's a, a really positive experience. I mean, personally, I use Uber every time I travel. Uh, even when I've traveled to other cities in Canada, I've used it. So, you know, it, it's just another option that's available for people. So they can take a taxi if that's their preference. Uh, they can take public transit if that's their preference. There's a sedan, <clears throat> excuse me, there's sedan service as well. Or now there's ride-sharing options like Uber. Tyler McAfee with the Winnipeg Airports Authority joining us live on 680 CJOB. Tyler, thank you as always for the time. Much appreciated. All right, thank you.
Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. We've got that question of the day. Will you use Uber when it comes to Winnipeg? We've also thrown that poll up on Twitter at 680CJOB where you can feel free to weigh in with a comment. Now that we have Uber, which we talked about image and branding, now we need to change that drive from the airport to downtown. Hallelujah. Couldn't agree with you more. That uh, image route, I think it was what the Mm -hmm. Chamber of Commerce were talking about once upon a time. I've probably heard that conversation a half a dozen times or more over the last decade on this radio station, not only sitting in a host chair, but as a listener and this idea of making things more welcoming when people come to Winnipeg. We have this spectacular you know, new terminal, for lack of better terminology, and then you're on Ellis or on Sargent Avenue. With all due respect to my old neighborhood, that's not exactly the glamour route you want people uh, taking from the airport to downtown. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have two passes up for grabs for the world's largest snow maze. Guinness World of Records confirmed. At Amazing Corn. It's the last week, people. So if you want to get in on this, now is the time at 204-780-6868. And here is the question for this morning. 38% 38 of people lie to their doctor about this. What is it? Barb, do you know the answer? Oh, boy. 38%. Oh, geez. About how much alcohol they drink. <laughs> right out of the gate. Really? <laughs> They're drinking habits. <laughs> Barb. Well done, Barb. <laughs> Barb, can I ask what is the answer if you're ever asked that question? Um, if I was ever asked that, I'd probably say not getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> is, that a, is that a polite way of saying too much? Maybe. <laughs> 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 well, that's good enough, Barb. I'm sure the doctors hear that quite a bit. Hey, Barb, uh, what's your last name? It's Stannard. S-T-A-N-N-A-R-D. Well, Barb Stannard, congratulations. I'm going to put you on hold, and Jeff Forte is going to get your details, okay? Thank you, and it's perfect. My grandkids are arriving tomorrow oh. from Ontario, and that's where they'll be going, the snow maze. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're so glad that you ended up winning today's prize. Congratulations, I, Barb. I've never won anything, and I've tried, so thanks so really? very much. And Appreciate hey, Barb, that. on the alcohol question vein, don't forget to hit up that ice bar at the snow maze. <laughs> oh, I didn't, okay, I forgot about As long as you got a safe ride home, get uh, someone else to drive, the kids go on the on the maze, and Grandma sits uh Sits at the ice bar. Got to be honest. Sounds like a great little Saturday. That sounds like a plan. Ideally, you have a 17-year-old who can drive but cannot drink, and then (laughs) life couldn't be better. That's perfect. Barb, stand by. Forte is going to get your details off the air. That is just wonderful. Yeah, that is one where I have never quite understood why people feel the need to lie to their doctor. Like, if there's one person you need to be honest with... It's the doctor. Just who cares? The doctor doesn't care how much you drink. Oh, and it's so I had some tests done last year and the results came back and she was going through everything. And I was like, why did you test me for all that kind of stuff? And she's like, you have no idea how many people lie about. And then she listed off all these things. She's like, so sometimes I just have to do more tests because I know they're lying. turns out I wasn't. But. So, <laughs> in an, in a segment where we're getting a rash of text messages from people either in support of the U-Pass or against the U-Pass and the system and how much it costs them and how much it costs other people and why should I have to pay for this, our dishonesty is costing the medical system because doctors are forced to test you for things that they've already screened you for. And we're not being honest with them, but we're lying. Because there's certainly your symptoms match something that you're lying about. And uh, yeah, that was was the feedback I got. Mm. Well, congratulations to you, Barb. And uh, when I I would answer that question, and I think I think I kind of like Barb's Barb's tact. What did she say? Not not getting enough sleep. Well, Doc, I'm not getting enough sleep, so you you connect those dots. By the way, speaking of connecting the dots, I just <laughs> got to point this out. I got an email from Bob, who remarked or commented on the fact that I said I took that, that my bus ride to school was about 75 minutes uh, every morning to the University of Manitoba. So Bob says, 
75-minute bus ride every day? Well, that explains how you've never used a circular saw. Because I commented last week that power tools are not my friend. I've never mm-hmm. used a circular saw. Are you, do you see how he's connecting those dots? No, usually I'm pretty good at the segue and, and connecting things that don't appear to have any sort of connection to one another and finding a way to sew them. Uh, do you, uh, no. Okay. I'm lost. I, I had nothing, but the, I, I was curious. I said, is he trying to say that if you don't know how to operate that power tool, you're also not smart? Well, he has followed up with an email, and uh, with the second email, he says, I'm just assuming someone who spends so much time commuting on a bus simply doesn't have time to develop all those homeowner skills. Uh, Not intended to be an insult, just that it seems odd. My dad showed me and my brothers how to use hand and power tools early in life, and I did the same with my own two sons. Oh, well, okay, but I mean, not my dad wasn't a power tools guy either, so I didn't get that uh, training at home. Not everyone's Tim the Toolman Taylor. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Or uh, you could get the training. And my dad showed me how to change the oil by myself. Do you think I'm under my car every seven weeks doing that? Probably it was a great not. skill. It was a great, it was a great day with you, dad, but uh, yeah. I think he, he taught you how to put the car into uh, the park gear. When you parked it too, and that didn't mean you always listened to that sure advice did. either. No, it's my the car may have on its own smashed into the rink at Minnedosa. It may have. That may be twirling, a story. Twirling, always twirling. It may have. Doesn't mean you follow those lessons, okay? Yeah, I, I, I instead, even though you know how to change the oil, I'd rather put the car in park at an oil change place like Super Lube or something, and let those guys do it in ten minutes and get out of there and get on with my day, so I can go get myself a double quarter with cheese or something. Ten minutes. I need to learn from you because I get. Then what? Don't. What do you do with all the questions? Like, oh, your air filter is dirty, and um, you also need this cleaning fluid. And they're that pretty fluid. good. At they're Super very Lube. good. They're very good with my their questions. My favorite location is at St. Mary's Road. I always feel like I get a one service nice. there. We're going to continue the conversation on the U-Pass in a moment. But before that, Loren, we just got a release from the Winnipeg police who have a, a heavy dose of info they're releasing at 11 o'clock today. Yeah, it looks like they've had a busy couple of days. And one of these things they're going to talk about, actually, we heard from a listener this morning on our Instagram page, Brett, talking about how they saw a heavy police present in the Charleswood area. Well, police have put out in their release that they'll be talking more about an officer-involved shooting in the 100 block of Kowalski Crescent. That looks to be in the same neighborhood that our listener reached out to us about this morning. They're also having a a conversation at 11 about an assault of a peace officer. So a police officer potentially assaulted outside police headquarters. There's a homicide investigation that they have more details on. That homicide happened on Elgin Avenue. I'm not sure when. We don't know that yet. And a suspicious death that they're also going to talk about. That took place in the 400 block of McPhillips. So an officer-involved shooting, an assault of a peace officer, a homicide investigation, and a suspicious death all coming up at the police news conference at 11 and of course we'll have more on that once we know it after that time question of the day brought to you by mr furnace don't call them first you'll see why call mr furnace at 204-832-6243 today's question has to do with uber but yesterday morning's question was about the u-pass transit appears to be the big loser in the city budget should the u-pass be saved 18 percent said yes no matter the cost Every time I say that, I want to say it like Optimus Prime in that Transformers movie from 1986. <laughs> Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. <laughs> That's a good Transformer voice. Not bad, not yeah. bad. If I, if I really worked on it, I think I could come a little bit well, closer. You Fortunately, you don't have any, it. You don't have any uh, technology on the other side of the glass there to digitize uh, McGarry's voice? Well, I wish speaks. I did. I really, maybe, in the new, maybe in the new location. Yeah. Right, okay. Then we'll have to see if we can get our engineers on that. I'm sure they'll make it their right. top priority. Yes. <laughs> We're only moving in time. Studios into another space. Front locked door and then digitized technology so Brett can make Transformer voices. 25% said yes if there's no cost to the question, should the U Pass be saved? And 58% said no, get rid of it. So you can cast your vote on the new question of the day at cjob.com. But who are we talking to now about the U Pass, Loren? Well, students are going to be rallying in about 90 minutes outside Winnipeg City Hall. They're protesting that proposal that would see the U-Pass. That's the bus pass, a much cheaper bus pass that's offered to university students. Well, it's going to be eliminated if the city budget is approved at City Council later this month. That cut was part of the proposal that came out last week. Well, today, students are rallying at 11.30, and joining them will be Jacob Sanderson, president of the University of Manitoba Students' Union, and he's on the phone with us now. Good morning, Jacob. 
Good morning, folks. I want to clear up some of the questions we have, first of all, just with the UPASS. How many students do we know are currently using it, and how does it work in terms of the cost, Jacob? Yeah, so there's over, um, there's over 20,000 students enrolled at the U of M. And with the program, it was going to be expanded to Red River. Um, we would have had about 38,000 students enrolled. And generally, we have over 80, or 80% of those students are actually activating the UPASS. So this would quite directly affect um, probably at least about 30,000 students next year. So what about the cost? We, we've been having this discussion. We're under the impression that it's built into your tuition. We're getting conflicting reports from some of our listeners. You can opt out of it depending on where you live. Can you help us uh, sort that out, Jacob? Yeah, so the cost is universal. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's built in basically on top of the tuition. Um, everyone pays that cost. There are a few opt-outs for accessibility purposes or for folks that are outside the city limits. And in the next contract, it was going to be an expanded opt-out to being outside the transit service area. So what would you be paying, for example, on an annual basis to get that, that cheaper bus? Well, so it used to be 136 per semester. And then that got increased to 160 per semester um, by the city to be able to accommodate the expansion to Red River. That was the increase in cost the city gave to students. Um, and that was the rate that was passed unanimously by city council. That's the rate we went to referendum on and passed. So that's why it's been quite um, a turnaround for the UPASS to all of a sudden come out and be canceled. When um, we passed our referendum at an increased rate that the city already passed this year. So help, help, help me do the math there. So that's $320 for two semesters. And so that starts from September and ends in April? That's correct. Okay, so we got September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, April. We got eight months there, so that works out yeah, to about forty it works bucks out to a month. About forty a month. Okay. So what's the? Uh, some people might say, okay, well they don't want to pay into that, or they've got questions about what's being offered in its place. What is the city plan to replace the U Pass? What's the cost there, and how would that work as as you understand it? Well, there really isn't an adequate replacement. Um, I mean, the post-secondary pass exists, but that's about double the cost. And that's obviously just an opt-in pass if people want to pay for it. And then you've got the low-income pass is what's, I think, being purported to be the replacement, really, from the city. But it isn't one for a couple of reasons. The first is that most students will not be eligible for the low-income pass as it's based on household income. And the biggest one is that it's not, again, it's not a universal pass, right? People think that the U-Pass, the U in the, in the U-Pass is really about university. It's really about universal, right? So when you have a pass that everybody has to pay in, you're getting a much higher conversion rate in terms of getting people out of their cars and onto the bus. Um, that's really, really crucial from an environmental standpoint. We need to be able to get as many people out of, off, out of their cars and onto the bus as possible. That's why the U-Pass was able to convert up over 5,000 riders. That's why we think it could have hit 7,000 riders with the addition of Red River um, to be able to convert to busing, right? Think about a coffee shop. If you say, if you bring in a mug, um, we'll give you 25, 25 cents discount on your coffee. Some people are going to bring in a mug. Once you say, not only will you give you that discount, but if you don't bring in a mug, we're going to charge you 25 cents for the cup. All of a sudden, you're going to see a lot of more people bringing in mugs. So, if you want to bring in the low-income pass, that's great. I think it's a great idea. But don't bring it in at the expense of a really successful existing program that makes a real environmental impact because everyone has to pay into the program. And so you're seeing a really massive conversion, 25% increase in ridership on routes to and from the University of Manitoba since the UPASS came in. So I just wanted to, to, to ask again, just on the, the subject of opting out, if you live outside of the city, if you live anywhere outside of the city, are, are you allowed to opt out? Or is it specific? That's correct, yeah. Okay, because we have a listener here who lives in East St. Paul who's saying that his son can opt out. Uh, is, is that something that perhaps this person should, should just double-check? Um, for any specific case, for the specific address, I have to get back to them, but they should be able to opt out. Okay, so one of our listeners here, sorry, Loren, but one of our listeners is bringing up a really tremendous point. Now, you're saying you've been able to, to raise uh, dramatically the number of students that, that take the bus. What percentage of students are taking the bus to camp, campus, Jacob? It's a two-part question. Yeah, so we, um, as of the transit report from 2018, they had um, 83% activated their UPASS and 59% were considered daily users. In our most recent survey data, we have it at 67% um, 
that say they predominantly use the bus to school, that's quite an increase um, from where we were before the UPass. Like I said, there's been a 25% increase on ridership on routes to and from the University of Manitoba based on the UPass. Okay, so, and I'm trying to follow the logic here, and I think I've got it from our listener. Listener saying, based on your math, we'll just use 30% as a round number. 30% of the students at the University of Manitoba are paying for this service. They aren't using it, we'll say, either at all or on a regular basis. Shouldn't that be more than making up for the number of people who are using it on a regular basis? That's a pretty healthy buffer in terms of covering any cost overruns or or cost to the system, so to speak. Yeah, well, if you look through the reports, the the reality is is that the UPass report just simply is not nearly as clear with where the city is getting its numbers as from the low income. But in my view, you're absolutely right. Um, Anything that the city has put out seems to say that the low income pass is going to be less costly to the cities than the UPass. I I truly don't think that's the case. I'll throw some numbers at you really quickly. The entire revenue that the city would have gotten from the UPass next year, based on my calculations, between the three schools that would have been signed up, would have been $12.2 million. Okay? Now, sure, if you assume that every single person that's currently um, a daily user of the UPass will then go out and buy a post-secondary pass, then sure, you're going to increase that. You're going to be up to $14.4 million in revenue. You're going to raise $2 million in revenue. That being said, we know that's not the case. Some of those people are going to be eligible for the low-income pass, so that's going to drag the numbers down. Also, a lot of those people just aren't going to bus anymore. We already have in our survey that 19% of busters at the University of Manitoba said that the U-Pass goes away. They will immediately stop busing. And we've seen it's a 25% increase in ridership. So if that many people stop busing, first year for people on the low income, you're going to be down on revenue around $9 million, $10 million all of a sudden. So you're going to make up some money on light and administration costs. You're going to make some money up on individual fares, bus tickets and stuff. But personally, I don't see how this is a money winner for them. And they haven't shown the data on this. We've, we've put in requests to the chief financial officer to see where they get their numbers from. But personally, I don't think it adds up. So what's the the math sounds good to me and I can appreciate that we don't have all the numbers, Jacob, but you're essentially saying that replacing one with the other sounds like a loss for the city, not any sort of gain remains to be seen if all those numbers do add up. But but what's the plan for 1130? We're not storming City Hall. We're outside City Hall right now for the rally. Is that right? Yeah, well, we're going to be holding a press conference there and we're going to have some speeches um, from student leaders across Manitoba. Um, Councillor Janice Lukes is going to be joining us as well. And we're just going to be making a case directly to the councillors and directly to the mayor um, as why, why did you give us one right, let us pass it, and then pull the rug out from under us? Why are you disregarding a plan um, that is proven to bring down emissions in the city of Winnipeg? And uh, maybe if you tune out there, we'll have a special little challenge for Mayor Bowman. You're going to have to figure out at about 1130. All right. Thank you so much for joining us then this morning. Jacob Sanderson, much appreciated, sir. Absolutely. I'm happy to be on. Before we introduce our next guest, we got learned, a, I think we've learned a little bit about what's happening downtown with the, all these trucks. Yeah, they're uh, blasting their horns, seem to be circling uh, around the downtown. And as we understand it, we thank you to the individual who called us at 780-6868, to, told us this is essentially a protest against unionization in their company and in their, uh, in their line of work. So thanks for sharing that. So if that's what you're seeing downtown, now you know why. And that's, uh, yeah, the pictures that we're, we've been sent are about a parade of trucks that appear to be circling the convention center. So uh, very much appreciate you letting us know. And as well to the listener who alerted us on our 680CJOB Instagram account. would love for you to follow us there on social media at 680CJOB on Instagram, on Twitter, and of course, give us a like on Facebook as well. Right now, we want to tell you about an event that is coming up March 21st at the Metropolitan Entertainment Center. And here's the hook. Mark Shipman. That's right. 
from True North is going to be on the drums. The event is called All Star Jamuary. This is a charity concert that's going to rock the Met in support of True North Youth Foundation's Project 11 and the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. And we'll tell you about some of the details involving who's going to be there. But one man who is here to tell us, we're actually hoping to speak to Mark Chipman, by the way, next week about this. But one man who is also involved, his name is Rodel Batista. And he joins us now live on 680 CJOB Rodell, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thank you for having me on. So, first of all, I guess we should. The, the name All Star Jamuary indicates that this was probably an event that was scheduled for January. So, why is it happening in March? Yeah, it, it was originally scheduled for the Saturday of the All Star break, and uh, you know, playing on January, the January with the bands that are that are involved. So, just some scheduling conflicts, and it just worked out to to have it in in March. Um, worked out to be better. Scheduling issues for the event, but no issues, I'm guessing, with the need and the demand and the cry that's out there for people to come together and and help support an initiative like this. It seems Uh, like daily we hear more from people saying that I just can't find the place to turn when I need help the most. Absolutely. And that's, that's the biggest reason for having, having this event. Uh, Brian Taylor, who is involved with uh, Winstock um, Battle of the Bands for, for years. He was, he was one of the co-founders. He came up with this brainchild. He's retired now and um, he wanted to have uh, a benefit concert, and he, he chose two two causes that uh, really need a lot of exposure and a lot of uh, a lot of help getting getting off the ground. And um, two causes that are pretty dear to my heart: uh, Russo Recovery Center. I've been advocating for for a very long time. Um, my stepson Gabriel suffered with with addiction, and he ended up um, committing suicide. And you know, it's Project Eleven. Uh, hits hits a spot for me too, um, because it's um, promoting mental wellness mm-hmm. for um, for youth between uh, the grades of grade five and grade eight. So, um, yeah, two very very uh, worthwhile causes that um, anything that that promotes any type of positive light and any positive energy towards those causes, I'm I'm all for. You spend a lot of energy getting behind the. The initial approval of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Why? Why do you feel that 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 model is something that's that's going to work and and uh, might have worked for Gabriel? Well, it's beds. Number one, it's availability to treatment and availability of treatment for people who can't necessarily afford to pay for for private um, treatment. Um, nobody's going to be turned away because of an inability to pay. Um, you know, fifty beds is is a huge addition to the treatment um, availability here in Winnipeg. And the sad truth is it's it's only going to be a drop in the bucket. Um, once the Bruce Oak Recovery Center is up and running, um, we should be looking at, at adding more of these facilities and really taking a look at how we're, we're looking at uh, addictions treatment and me- mental health treatment as well. Has to be some frustration there in some respects because on this facility alone, Bruce Oak, we're talking a years-long conversation to get the ball rolling on it. And -hmm. you're already looking ahead to the idea that once it's here and those beds are established and in use, that that still won't be enough, right? And so the the mounting need grows as we're building one, we're talking about the need for another. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the the whole idea for the center spawned from just – you know, uh, a desire for the Oaks to, to help people and connect them with, with treatment. Mm-hmm. So for years, they've been connecting individuals with treatment uh, and sponsoring them in, in centers like Tamarack and, and one of that is available, right? So even to this day, without the center being built, there are, there are people that are in recovery because of the help of the Oaks. And it's their effort and their true um, selflessness that has inspired my wife and I to, to advocate like we, like we do. Do you believe, uh, Gabriel, that, or uh, Rodell, pardon me, that the Bruce Oak Recovery Center would have helped? Like, would Gabriel have gone to the Bruce Oak Recovery Center? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because as as a parent of a young adult, uh, Gabriel, you know, was, was 20. Um, he was a couple months away from turning 21. Uh, as a parent of, an, of a young adult, it's really hard to find those solutions here. Um, even if you have a window where, where your child, your, your adult child is willing to seek help, um, you call AFM, you call some intake program and it's, you know, it's a four week wait just to even get seen or talked to about, about even the possibility of going into treatment. Once you have that intake appointment, you need to be seven days clean. So you need to find a detox bed, 
somewhere. And, you know, Main Street Project is is always to capacity, and sometimes there's a 30-, 45-day wait just to even get in there. So um, more beds, more availability, and just a real consciousness of of a problem that needs to be addressed in a in a really positive way. And I think that's where the the two issues and the two causes coincide. Because when it comes to help for mental health issues, I've always said that when someone is strong enough, that today is the day that they're going to reach out and get help. And whether that's pick up a phone, reach out by a website, or, or knock on a door, there has to be someone there to listen. And so. We have that issue within the the mental wellness world as well as the addiction world, and we're trying to break down. We've done such a great job, in my opinion, of breaking down the stigmatization of mental health. Maybe not as good a job in terms of of why uh, young people like your son were, were addicted to drugs, but the idea that when they're ready to get help... There should be a space, there should be a welcoming place for them to go to get the help that they so desperately desire. Right, and that's why Project 11 is so key because you get children and, and kids and youth and, and, and the adults and parents that are involved in their life talking about mental wellness at an early age, um, breaking down that stigma that, that it's okay to talk about, about things when you're not feeling well, when you're not doing well. Uh, in your head and and opening up that conversation that's that's part of it like you know for years you're you're pigeonholed into making sure that you're this type of kid and you're doing this well in school and that you're well adjusted and behaved and if and if you're not then that's a problem well the truth is if if you're not filling this this box then it's okay to be different it's okay to feel different and it's okay to talk about it and that's that's why Project 11 and getting out in front of the youth and, and really being active in that conversation and educating not only, not only the kids to be, to be free to speak, but teaching parents that it's okay to listen. We're creating a demand that we're unable to fill in, in a certain essence. Absolutely. There, there really is like we're, we're, we're far lacking as far as what we can do to, to deal with this type of thing. Like you you hear it all the time, people that are denied care after being suicidal or or showing signs of self-harm and, you know, being let out on the street, that that, that poor young lady who was released uh, just last spring or mm-hmm. who ended up committing suicide. Um, you, you hear stories of that all the time. And, and as a parent who's lost a child to suicide, as a parent that's lost a child because of, of drug, drug addiction, we hear the stories all the time and we're surrounded by people who have, who have struggled the same plight. For the parents out there, Roddy, that say, oh, I wouldn't, that wouldn't happen to my kid. What's your message to them? Because I think that that's where we're hopefully getting now, where everyone mm-hmm. realizes that there's no box that you have to be, be in for you to fall into trouble with not just your mental health, but then the addictions, which are so linked, right? If you're struggling with your mental health, you might go down the path of choosing drugs. What do you say to those parents who well, are like, hey... It's not going to happen to me, so I don't have to worry about this. Right. We, we've got other children. like So we're a blended family of six. We've got five well-adjusted children that have either finished university or on their way to their profession or excelling at what they're doing. And um, Project 11 points out the fact that Rick Rippon was a professional hockey player who made almost a million dollars a mm-hmm. year, who you know seemingly had the world as his oyster, right? So it can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Um, it's just being open and really knowing and being open and caring about your children as a whole. Do you get the sense, and I know you might have heard some of that, in fact, I know you did, uh, in your quest to have the Bruce Oak Recovery Center approved, this idea, this notion from certain people in the public that say, well, it's only uh, bad families where where drug addicts come from. Yeah, no, we we heard that a lot. We heard that a lot, and... um, to our faces, um, you know, there's there's a couple of videos that that, that were um, shown on the news of of myself just basically arguing with people and trying to let them know that hey, um, my family, this family is is the face of what addiction is, and it, it's too many people suffering in silence. I always talk about this uh, this message that I received from from a mother in in and Winkler who had two adult sons who were in the throes of addiction. They grew up in a very uh, religious Mennonite family. And she reached out to me in a private message because she couldn't post publicly on Facebook because her parents would see 
her commenting on something about drug addiction and she was ashamed that they would find out that her parents' grandchildren, two adult sons, are, are suffering from addiction. And that's the reality. People kind of exist without wanting to know that, that there's a problem. And I'm, I'm here trying to, to shout at the top of my lungs that you should be aware and you should be open to listening to, to what your kids are going through. Well, the event is coming up March 21st at the Metropolitan Entertainment Centre. It is in support of True North Youth Foundation's Project 11 and the Bruce Oak Recovery Centre. It's called the inaugural All-Star Jamuary Charity Concert. Now, some of the acts include Dust Rhinos, Errol Ranville and Queed Band, the Tom Dutame Band, Ridiculously Professional Entertainment, the Live Dance Crew, L-I-V-E Dance Crew, also introducing My Three Dads, which features Juno-nominated country singer-songwriter Donna Merrow, Simon and John from the Jensen Boys, and True North's own Mark Chipman on drums, while also backed by guitarist Murray Pulver from Doc Walker and the Crash Test Dummies, and Alex Campbell, former Brothers Landreth keyboardist. So this is happening again March 21st at the Met, and we're hoping to have Mark Chipman on next week to tell us more about his role in this. But Rodel Batista, thank you so much for doing what you do and for coming to visit us today to tell us about this wonderful event. Thank you very much for letting me uh, speak about it. And uh, just want to add, uh, Emmanuel Lomiro, who's a very uh, talented up-and-coming comedian, is going to be doing a set in between some of the acts, and he's a super funny guy if you guys haven't seen him. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.